Welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host, Ramita Ayer, a research analyst at the Institute. The G20 leaders met for a two-day summit in Bali, Indonesia this year. Under the theme of Recover Together, Recover Stronger, the leaders in a joint common declaration raised important issues such as food and energy security, climate and biodiversity, health and digital transformation. In this episode, I'm joined by Ms. Sharon Koshi, a research associate at the Center for Public Policy Research in Kochi, India. We discussed the G20 summit and other related developments. Sharon, welcome to South Asia Chat. Thank you, Ramita. At the summit this year, President Xi and President Biden engaged in a face-to-face meeting for over three hours. Could you throw some light on the meeting and its significance? Uh, So, yes, the meeting is significant on so many levels, especially given that this is the first in-person meeting that the two are having uh, since Biden has assumed presidency. And we're also aware of the very many uh, issues that uh, China and the U.S. have been having for the past uh, uh, decade or so, especially since uh, Trump has come into power, because you know, the world is going through that uh, trend of perhaps looking inward, perhaps fighting against globalization. And so there is always that uh, blame game that is happening, especially when there is obvious trade imbalance, right? Um, In this context, again, when uh, she and Biden were meeting in Bali this year, uh, there was this obvious platform that both leaders created in their home countries because both of them came from a position of power at home. She having just uh, reiterated his power as the unparalleled leader in the country after consolidating his power through the 20th National Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. And for Biden, the future looks secure uh, right now with the reasonable success in the midterms, right? So always that position of assurance gives negotiations that much strength. And uh, it is the same case in international relations as well. Domestic gains obviously guarantee a leader considerable stature uh, in the global milieu. So um, one interesting word that both sides used in their respective statements to describe the meeting uh, was constructive. And also they emphasized uh, the words like coexistent and coexistence and balance. So um, I feel like a year ago, maybe we were thinking about how China is to be countered, um, how China is to be fought. But uh, I think the rhetoric has now changed, in especially in the Indo-Pacific context, now to accommodate China because they have, at least the West has come to an agreement or an understanding rather that uh, you cannot leave out China when you're dealing with uh, you know, that bigger power, that uh, big an economy. So balancing and coexistence is the key here. Again, the meetings is significant also on the footing that both these leaders have known each other for quite a while as a vice premier and vice presidents. Uh, and, uh, you know, that sort of a warmth in the greeting was there when they started off. And again, here you see how personal relations and connect and diplomacy is very important uh, in international relations. Um, and what is also uh, important is the mindset of both these leaders. They are coming from a place of politically um, a strong background and they are ready to stand their ground and speak bluntly as they did with the points of divergences as well while also showing the initiative to routinize uh, dialogues and engagement mechanisms to iron out the issues in their bilateral relations 
So this has indeed impacted the outcome of the meeting as well. I mean, for one, both sides are ready to strengthen their key officials to continue dialogue and communication and therefore deepen constructive efforts towards balancing each other. They're already in the, there are already, uh, you know, another meeting planned for Secretary of State Antony Blinken to visit China early next year, which will be a follow-up to the Biden-Chi meeting that happened in Bali. Um, and for the for the meeting, they also discussed the sore points between the between the two countries' relations, particularly the t- three irritants in geopolitics, uh, which are the North Korean missile tests and the military tensions in Taiwan Strait, as well as the war in Ukraine. So um, I'm not saying that uh, one should gauge uh, the success of the meeting by the outcomes or the agreements that were signed because there were none of that, none of those. But I think the success is in the very fact that they are ready to take the next step to institutionalize and routinize dialogues and, you know, to build up to that constructive uh, future. It also comes from a mutual understanding that one cannot you know, choose to uh, leave out the other in global geopolitics because in a highly hyper-globalized world, rather, this would be rather impossible. So traditionally, issues of security are not a part of the uh, G20 discussions, which has been more focused on uh, economic growth and prosperity. But in this year's summit, the question of Ukraine entered the discussions in different ways, uh, be it food security, supply chain disruptions, or the general economic downturn. From a geopolitical perspective, uh, what do you make of the declaration this year? So this year's declaration has to be contextualized in a lot of uh, global happenings and events, right? Um, G20, historically speaking, G20 came together in a time of exceptional uh, financial instability and insecurity. Hence, economic growth and prosperity, as well as fiscal policies, macroeconomic stability has always been a point of focus for the forum. Um, But we are at a juncture in history right now where geopolitics and geoeconomics are invariably interlinked and uh, the waves in one sector leads to unanticipated repercussions on the other and the world is just warming up to its, uh, you know, effects, especially since the pandemic. Here, of course, I'm talking about particularly about the war in Ukraine, which has in fact created a global impact on geopolitical power shifting and uh, economic security of many countries. Now, we have seen the waves created by um, the Ukraine war in terms of shocking supply chains, initiating huge crises in terms of food and agricultural shortage, as well as skyrocketing inflation in many countries across the globe. All of those leading to, you know, instability in political economy of many less resilient countries, if I may, and uh, falling of political bastions, governments. Um, What's underway in Sri Lanka and and other parts of South Asia is perhaps the single most important example of this trend. Now, of course, the G20 has recognized the context um, of these issues, which follows uh, the disastrous effect the pandemic has had on everything from politics to economy to trade and agriculture. Um, recognition of this reality is actually core to expediting change in policy decisions and it is also a testimony to the fact that the world does not work in silos anymore, right? We are in a hyper-globalized world and I'm using this word without alluding to any negativity that is associated with the word, of course. Uh, It is impossible to not be influenced by the happenings around the world given its global dimensions. 
and the war in ukraine brings into discussion additional priority areas as well for g20 and rightfully so we see an increased focus and call to action on non traditional security challenges which i feel like is a tremendous um achievement by itself because you know for the longest time by security the word security only alluded to those hard security strategy uh, hard diplomacy uh, perspectives but now the the world has increasingly come to understand that non traditional security challenges have to be addressed if you're talking about long term growth and economic uh, security so this is exacerbated an already existing challenge on global economy it so non traditional security are transnational in nature they constrain growth they add to increasing inflation they disrupt supply chains heighten energy and food secure food insecurity and also elevate financial instability uh, uh, risks across the globe so the statement that came out of uh, 2022 bali uh, g20 was basically acknowledging the security issues that can have significant consequences for the global economy and this um, particularly refers to non traditional security challenges now indonesia's g20 presidency theme in itself is recover together recover stronger um and this is a call to action for coordinated you know uh, actions to advance an agenda for a strong uh, as well as resilient global recovery uh, processes uh, this is also in connection to the g20 matera declaration which again alludes to food security uh, ensuring that food systems better contribute to uh, mitigating climate change and so on and they are also showing willingness to collaboratively work with other multilateral fora and international organizations like UN like the World Bank like WTO in terms of food agriculture trade as well as uh, sustainable initiatives so we are living in a time of paradox we increasingly see the trend of inward looking economies talk about uh, you know the opposite of globalization but we are also um see multilateral fora like g20 coming together for causes that are transnational in nature which is perhaps the stealthiest way i think of uh, dealing with challenges of that scale so another highlight is uh, that from december 1st of this year india will take over the presidency of the g20 a few issues that have been emphasized by india in its run up have been those of development finance and digital economy this is of course of particular importance due to the global economic situation um especially given the war in ukraine and the covid-19 pandemic uh, how do you see india carrying this out and what are the benefits in it for the country so i see uh, an emergence of the theme of digital economy uh, perhaps from 2015 especially uh, that was for, put, put forth by turkey topics such as e-commerce challenges faced by small and uh, medium enterprises skill development cross border data flow all of these were you know brought to the g20 agenda by turkey um yeah a little more than half a decade ago and in in the in the following years we see an increased importance given to this particular agenda um with the formation of digital economy task force at hangzhou summit in 2016 and then we see uh how uh, later summits in 2017 with the german germany as the president focusing on harnessing the potential for inclusive growth and employment uh through a digital uh, through digital production and growth and so on 
and uh, we see an even bigger growth boost as well uh, to G20 digital economy agenda from 2020 particularly because of uh, covid-19 pandemic uh, with the italian presidency in 2021 the g20 countries actually acknowledged the crucial role that uh, uh, G- uh, digital economy can play in enhancing economic recovery particularly from the pandemic um, uh, with particular reference to increasing market access for micro small and medium enterprises um, and also during the presidency of indonesia we see how the digital economy task force has been upgraded to that of a digital economy working group so all of this signify how the D- D- g20 agenda has been warming up to the prospects of digital economy and how it has been uh, pushing the agenda Uh, especially for developing economies to you know tap into and to harness so issue areas that previously were prioritized under g20 like measuring digital economy uh, cooperation especially under e- e-commerce ensuring consumer protection data protection bil- bridging that uh, digital divide all of that find resonance in what india will be taking up in its uh, 2023 presidency so I feel like there are a few areas particularly that we can focus on in our presidency next year. Um our priorities um have included um you know building digital infrastructure because for India to harness the opportunities that are presented by digital economy we need a solid infrastructure in place. So a digital India initiative that is uh, you know put forth by the government of india is committed to improving digital inclusion by increasing broadband connectivity and uh, availability through optimal f- uh, fiber networks across the villages in india and uh, this is also uh, aimed at expanding india's telecom com- uh, base and at the osaka summit india has also reiterated the crucial role of digital infrastructure in overcoming capacity constraints right so in 2021 again india reiterated the importance of digital inclusion and bridging the digital divide uh, by ensuring that there is last mile connectivity to gram panchayats as well and uh, this has been covered through bharatnet and as of now uh, we have about 66.5% of gram panchayats covered under the scheme so we have been laying the groundwork we have been uh, doing the ground research connecting uh, the broadband connectivity uh, to what's happening at ground level all of all of which are activities that will lead up to us being in a place to enable uh, harnessing uh, you know the benefits and opportunities presented by digital economy and another thing that we can actually focus on and india is actually doing quite a uh quite a lot in this area as well is to budget is to you know build up digital skills because even if there are opportunities presented even if there are infrastructure in place if the people are not aware and if people are lacking the skills they wouldn't be able to tap into it so this will be important for equitable uh inclusive and sustainable eco- economics and uh, this will also impact positively livelihoods and as well as accelerate various sectors um it will also strengthen uh, supply chains because we are increasingly worried about you know global events disrupting supply chains so if if we are integrating our local markets to a digital uh, market this will enable transfer of benefits transfer of raw materials transfer of um, you know passage of uh, 
produced goods. So all of that would enable a cyber safe world as well as increased a positive impact on livelihoods. Moreover, India has also acknowledged the central role of uh, technology and digitization. <coughs> sorry, technology and digitization in uh, enabling government response to disruption, and this has been realized particularly in the context of uh, uh, COVID-19. Uh, and uh, we were very um, blessed that way, or rather, our planning was far ahead that way that we had in place. Uh, at least the groundwork for the infrastructure for these public services deliveries to be done in times of, uh, you know, strife like uh, COVID-19, where uh, private and public players both were in, were in a position to deliver their services digitally and at minimal cost as well. So I think India is well poised in, uh, in its presidency in the coming year to take advantage of these many opportunities presented by digital economy, while also you know, propagating it as as one of the most important tools for uh, inclusive growth for other developing nations as well. So there's also talk that India's G20 presidency has already begun creating waves in domestic politics. And it is anticipated that this could likely uh, shape voter thoughts um, in the 2024 general elections. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? So I feel like it matters for a country to have an international public image to be built for it to shape its own identification of what a country looks like. I mean, it does it not, uh, it may sound a little bit complicated, but again, it really depends on, say, I am an Indian and the way I am perceived when I go outside is it matters to me psychologically. And so when India as a global leader uh, is being projected as one, uh, earlier it used to be an emerging economy it's still an emerging economy but at least its stature uh, worldwide has changed to that of a global leader so that in fact drills a sort of uh, psychological advantage uh, in the citizens of India and this will definitely I feel like benefit uh, the current central government in the run up to 2024 general elections so there is a concerted push uh, for global south here right so India is well poised uh, as a country representing the global south, representing the emerging economies, uh, ready to tap into uh, opportunities uh, and to project itself as a country of power with its military economy, human resource, etc. etc. So, we see that in the run up to gen general elections in 2024, we have also planned a lot of activities. Uh, especially in the sidelines of G20, engaging the countries, uh, sorry, engaging the states all over India. So this is, I think, one of the strategic decisions that this current government has taken, because especially in the South India, they do, they are looking for an opportunity for a foothold and engaging these South Indian states strategically in the upcoming presidency uh, is again coming from uh, a visionary thought process. And also India is putting forth a global campaign for, uh, you know, inclusive, ambitious, action-oriented uh, presidency. Here, uh, what is important is the optics, particularly because we are tapping into the power of diaspora, soft diplomacy, which we obviously witnessed uh, in the past uh, uh, G20 summit that just got over. And how Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi had a very warm uh, relation with many of the uh, leaders of uh, you know, global powers. 
so here i feel like it it lifts up the spirit of indian citizens to see that sort of a stature that india has among world powers and this inevitably translates to them feeling proud of their country and that i feel like would have a great effect on how india the current government or the other governments uh, would fare in the 2024 general elections and the activities planned especially in the various states it it will engage various platforms like b20 t20 and u20 all taking advantage of the diversity that is uh, going to be brought, brought forth so speculations are rife that the central government will indeed try, try to engage those areas particularly uh, south india because from a election point of view the south eludes bjp rule this could be one you know possible way for engaging the south showcasing the glamour the pomp that comes with g20 presidency and uh, i feel like this will have a positive uh, impact on uh, the elections again i'm not a uh, an expert in political commentary but i think this this would be my opinion uh finally india seems to be in a unique position as a country that's close to both the west and the east you to mention india now being um, you know a leader of the global south uh, do you see delhi playing a role and engaging with the different sides um in the coming year absolutely because i feel like one advantage that we have is this very unique position uh because you know from a point of being non aligned to now being multi aligned as our uh, minister of external affairs s j shankar would say we are in a position where we have many friends we have divergences with them of course that's not what i'm uh, denying but uh, we are friends with them we are partners with them and uh, you know from a world of when we talked about multi uh, bipolarity where people uh, where the world economies and the world leaders were uh, you know uh, passed into different camps we are in a position where we are talking about strategic autonomy where you are not uh, eternal partner of any one country you are actually exercising that sort of a uh, diplomacy in the world platform for your own national interest so definitely india's uniqueness as a partner of the west as well as russia does present the opportunity to derive the best out of both camps uh there is immense pressure on india to stop uh, buying oil from russia but you know our resilience as a country that leverages its own national interest has come to the forefront now more than ever and uh, now the best possible outcome of this besides reiterating our national interest is how despite the slight irritant the west and india have brushed aside this conflict in interest um for example i mean we have so many irritants in our relationship with the uh, with the west particularly with the us however we still have a very resilient partnership in terms of many other sectors so this the sort of a multilateral engagement or multi alignment uh bank which is which is banked in on uh, strategic autonomy is what we want from a globalized world in fact and uh, india is doing its bit to be the voice of global south here again by many of our initiatives like the international solar alliance and the one one sun one world one grid initiative that would again integrate the global south further in towards many uh, causes in fact so climate change is one uh, one aspect that india and many countries emerging economies and in the global south 
are particularly you know focused on because this is uh, this is something that affects our economic growth as well as our uh, you know sustainability initiatives as well so this is one point that we agree with the global south and we can work together with the global south and also when it comes to uh, tackling global events of global proportions like the pandemic again india could be that you know that voice that can represent uh, the global south and one thing to add here is again uh, this presidency that is upcoming in 2023 is an immense, immense opportunity for india to steer that conversation again so i feel like uh, there are issue areas that we can focus on so when when pm modi talks about you know an inclusive foreign policy an inclusive and action oriented presidency i'm i'm thinking about an inclusive foreign policy as well which will have uh, gender inclusive uh, ideations happening because i feel like gender is something that is left out of conversations regarding foreign policy uh, and you know or domestic policies as well but this is one area we can focus on and also there are debates and discussions happening whether we should include african union in the g20 which is again presenting an immense opportunity because when we are talking about renewable energy and uh, supply chain resilience we cannot leave out that big of uh, a continent which with that much population and with which many of the g20 countries in fact have thriving trade relations so these are certain areas that we can actually focus on if we want to be uh ideally uh, the voice of the global south because india should ideally represent the concerns and voices of the global south um and i feel like india could be that bridge between the west and the you know and and the global south here thanks so much sharin for being on the podcast it was a pleasure to have you you were listening to south asia chat to learn more about our work visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg You can also get updates on social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram.